If you've been paying attention, you'll have noticed that Jesus never actually tells us what the kingdom of heaven is. He only tells us what it's like. And it's not hard to understand why. I mean, how do you describe something that's totally beyond the experience of those with whom you're speaking? How do you describe something that doesn't even fit within the limitations of human language? I'm mindful of the way St. Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. We just don't have the vocabulary to describe or the context to even understand these divine realities. And so that's why Jesus speaks to us using parables and metaphors. The kingdom of heaven is like a man sowing seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. These parables reveal important truths to us about the kingdom of God, using things that are known to us to help us understand the unknown, using things that are visible to reveal the invisible. So in the first parable that Jesus gives us in today's gospel, a sower scatters seed on the land. The seeds grow and they ripen and they bear fruit for the harvest. The sower, Christ tells us, is God. The seed is his word. And the land, well, that's us. And if you've ever done any gardening, you know that whether or not the seed that you plant grows into a a healthy plant has a lot to do with the quality of the soil. And so we have our role to play. We need to till and take care of the soil of our hearts so that we can be receptive, uh, a, a fertile breeding ground for God's grace to take root. And that grace will grow and bear fruit over time. There's a maturation that needs to happen. See, these parables aren't just nice stories. They're insights from our creator about how creation itself reveals the mind and the heart of its maker. When Jesus points to things like seeds and soil vineyards and shepherds as things that reveal God to us. He's showing us that the created world is sacramental. Creation is full of visible realities that reveal to us the invisible God if we have eyes that are open to see it. You can think of God as the author of a story. It's said that God has written two books, the book of scripture, and the book of nature. Now, when an author writes a book, every element of the story is intentionally chosen. Every detail that's included in the narrative has meaning and has purpose. There's nothing accidental. And so it is with the story God writes. Everything in creation reveals to us something about the creator whether that's farmers sowing seed, or shepherds tending their flock, or fathers caring for their children. Today we honor fathers in a special way. 
And it's good for us then to consider that fatherhood itself is a sort of living parable that reveals to us a deep truth about who God is and how he relates to us. Because one of the most radical teachings of Jesus Christ was his revelation of God as Father. That might not seem that radical a notion to us today because most of us have been taught from a young age to call God our Father. But it was a very radical teaching at the time and it still can be for us and should be for us today if we take the time to consider its implications. Like any parable or image, it needs to be explained and understood correctly. I think a lot of us perhaps misunderstand it and we think that we call God Father because God is our creator. And that makes a certain sense. God made me, so he is our Father. But that's not it. A potter makes a jar out of clay. A carpenter makes a piece of furniture out of wood. But a father doesn't make children. Children aren't made. They are begotten. You don't create a child out of wood or stone, but from your very substance. And so for any of us to claim to be a begotten child of God is for us to claim to be divine, for us to claim to be God ourselves. So the Jewish people, they knew that God was their creator and they worshiped God as their creator, but they didn't dare call God Father. Only Jesus did, and they crucified him for blasphemy. But Jesus doesn't just call God his Father. He teaches us to call God our Father. And this is even more radical, because although we are made by God, we are not begotten of God. God has only one begotten Son, as we profess in our creed. You and I are not God from God, light from light, true God from true God, consubstantial with the Father. We're not children of God by nature, but we become children of God by adoption. This happens at our baptism, and that's why we refer to baptism as being born again. When we are baptized, we receive God's sanctifying grace. Now, for many of us, sanctifying grace might be one of those terms that's familiar to us from our faith formation or CCD classes, but maybe we've forgotten what it is. So let me remind you, grace means gift. And what does God give as his gift to us? He gives us his life. Sanctifying grace is the life of God dwelling within us. So God gives us his life. And then we're formed in this new divine life in the womb of our mother, the church. We become a new creation in Christ. We have a new status as children of God by virtue of our union with Christ, his only begotten son. And if we're one with Christ, that means we have Mary as our mother and we have God as our father. As children of God, we've been given a share in his divine life, which is eternal life. We've been raised beyond the limits of the human family and made part of the divine family. 
this is what it means to be a Christian. It means that we have the great privilege of knowing God, not only as our creator, not only as our judge, not only as our Lord and our King, but as our Abba, our Dad. So human fatherhood then becomes for us something of a parable, an image of that great love that our Heavenly Father has for us. It can help us to understand how much our Father in Heaven loves us. I certainly feel, I can attest, that one of the things that has taught me the most about the heart of God, even more than my theological studies, has been becoming a father myself. Now, we human fathers are subject to sin and so often fail to love our children as we ought. I think all the fathers in this room would agree with me on that one. But God's fatherly love for us is perfect. And Jesus describes that love to us. He teaches us about that love, guess what, in parables. So, for example, in today's gospel, when he gives us the parable of the seed and the sower, does he describe God as a sower who just scatters his seed and then walks away, letting it, the weeds grow up and overtake the garden? No. God plants his seed and then he watches it grow. He's present and he's attentive. Jesus says he is sleeping and rising night and day, watching and waiting for the time of harvest, patiently caring for his children as they mature and they grow. Now there is another parable in the Gospels where Jesus does does describe weeds growing up among the seed that God plants. And in what might seem to be a a counterintuitive decision, God decides to let the weeds grow and to harvest the weeds and the wheat together and then separate them out afterwards. Why would he do that? No gardener would do that. I'll just let all the weeds, that's how I garden, but (laughs) that's not how an actual gardener gardens, letting the weeds grow up, right? He does that so that he doesn't accidentally pull up any of the wheat because every grain and every stalk is precious to him and he doesn't want to lose even one. So that parable might not make much sense to a farmer, but it makes perfect sense to a father because it shows how much God cares for each and every one of us. We see that same care for us individually in the parable of the lost sheep, where Jesus describes God as a shepherd who leaves behind the 99 sheep to go searching after the one that is lost. And we might hear that parable and think, well, that doesn't make much sense. Why would you risk leaving behind your whole flock of 99 sheep just to go searching after one who doesn't really sound like the smartest sheep to begin with? Well, it doesn't make sense if you're a shepherd, but it makes a lot of sense if you're a father. I have six children, and sometimes getting them all together can feel like herding sheep. And if I took my six kids to Dollywood for the day, and suddenly I look up, and one of them's missing... You bet I would sit the other five down and say, okay, you guys sit right here, don't move, I'm going to go find your brother. Because we know it wasn't going to be one of the girls that wandered off, right? (laughs) Actually, that's a lie, it would be Maddie. (laughs) And I'd leave them, and I'd run all over the park looking for my one missing child. You know, I wouldn't say, well, you know, I've still got five, so on balance I'm doing all right, you know. (laughs) 
come home to my wife. I've got most of our kids with us, you know, hon. Because children aren't livestock. It doesn't work that way. Your children are your children, and each one is infinitely valuable. A father knows this, and God knows this. That's why he would leave the 99 to go after the one. My wife likes to tell our kids, you're my favorite. You know, she'll be snuggling with them on the couch and kissing their faces and say, oh, you're my favorite, you're my favorite. And sometimes she does this in public and people will overhear her and misunderstand and she's been chastised before. She's been told, you can't say that. You're not supposed to tell your kids that they're your favorite. And she has to tell them, you know, you don't understand. They're all my favorite. I tell all of them that they're my favorite. And that's how God loves us, his children. We're each of us his favorite. You are his favorite child. That means even if you were the only one in the entire history of the human race that ever sinned, God would go on a rescue mission to save just you. Because you are his favorite. He would become incarnate, he would suffer persecution, and he would die on a cross to save just you. Your father loves you that much. And of course, the most profound way that Jesus teaches us about the love of God the Father is not in parables, but by his own life. Because although he is the Son of God, Jesus is the perfect image of God the Father. As he tells the Apostle Philip in John's Gospel, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And in his person, Christ reveals to us a Father who provides us with our daily bread, who binds up our wounds and heals our infirmities, a Father who instructs us, a Father who forgives us, and a father who lays down his life to save his children. Fathers, Christ has shown us our vocation. And I'm speaking as one of you, and I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to any of you. We are called to be sowers of seed. We are called to be good shepherds of our families, but most of all, we are called to be Christ for our wives and our children. To humble ourselves, to take up our crosses, and to spend our lives in love for them. And by doing so, to become images, living parables of God's divine fatherhood. That is not an easy calling and we will often fail. But when we do fail, we can remember that we also have a loving Father who is never far from us. He wants to help us succeed. He knows how hard it can be. He knows that we can't do it without him, and he doesn't want us to do it without him. So when we fall, he's right there at our side, ready to pick us up, dust us off, 
embrace us in his arms and say, okay, let's try that again. I'll show you the way. Just follow me.